Welcome. Uh, my name is Luke Stuber. I occasionally preach here, and I've got the privilege this morning of preaching about the resurrection. You know, Easter Sunday, it's a chance for us to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus. It's the ultimate victory. I don't know how many of you guys watched the end of the Gonzaga-UCLA game last night. I turned it on with two minutes to go, I think, in regulation, and it was crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. You know, Gonzaga won with no time left for the half-court shot, banked it in to prevent double overtime. And you know what? That victory pales in comparison to the resurrection. does not even hold a candle to it. And yet we celebrate it. But do we celebrate the resurrection? You know, something that Brian Hepp said Friday night, he had talked about when we become familiar with something, we lose the reverence and the awe. And my question for us this morning is, do we truly understand the significance of what happened on that first Easter morning 2,000 years ago? Do we truly understand how important the resurrection is for us as both individuals and for the Christian faith as a whole? You know, I would argue this morning that the resurrection is the single most important event that occurred in the Bible. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about the cross, and the cross is vital. But you know what, guys? Three people died on that hill of Calvary 2,000 years ago, but only one of them walked out of the grave three days later. And so today, we're going to attempt to answer two questions, and I'm going to call it the why and the how. So why is the resurrection important? Why should we celebrate it? And why is it the cornerstone of our Christian faith? And how? If the resurrection is the cornerstone, which it is, we be certain that it's the truth. How can we be certain that Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago? How can we be certain that he talked, ate, and lived with his disciples for a short period of time afterwards? So let's start with the why. Why does the resurrection matter? And this may seem like a little bit of an odd place to start, but the first thing is, is Jesus was a real person. And what do I mean by that? There are significant amounts of documented facts about the person named Jesus. And these are via non-biblical sources. And so what I mean here is that we positive that there was a man named Jesus that lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. That there was a man named Jesus who was a wonder worker. And there was a man named Jesus who was proclaimed to be a Messiah. And there was a man named Jesus that was crucified by Pontius Pilate. There is no doubt about that. This is accepted by Christians and non-Christians. There was a man named Jesus that lived and died 2,000 years ago. And you know, the Romans were very proficient at killing people. So we can be 100% certain that Jesus died on the cross. But really, what can help us answer? Was Jesus the, a man? Or was Jesus the Son of God? You know, most of these non-biblical sources would argue that Jesus was a man. I would argue that Jesus was the Son of God. And the resurrection is the differentiator here. So we are going to first look at 
what if there was no resurrection? What would we have? And we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19. It's on page 961 in your pew Bible. The words will not be on the screen, so I'd encourage you to get it out. It's the black book sitting in front of you. And here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, verse 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is, not, is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. So what do we see here? I'm going to give you the Luke Stuber cliff notes of this passage. It's going to take about a minute. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection, he's still dead. It's that straight, that simple. Jesus is dead if there's no resurrection. Verse 14, what I'm doing right now is, and what you're doing right now is totally pointless as well. You know, Jesus is a fraud if he's still dead. And so preaching about him or teaching about him or even learning about him is pointless. Verse 15, Paul and the rest of the apostles, they're liars. They proclaim that Christ had rose from the dead. If Christ did not rise, they are liars. And this book that we depend on is a false book. It's a lie. It's a fraud. Verse 17, faith in Jesus is futile. If the resurrection did not happen, Jesus was a man. probably the greatest con man to ever walk on this earth. And it's false. Which also means that eternal life with Christ is a pipe dream. There is no heaven without a resurrection. This is all a lie. And in verse 19, Christians are to be pitied. Do you ever think about this? Paul the man who wrote this, he was one of the religious elect, a leader. He was a man going places. And he gave that up to proclaim the resurrection of Christ. And it resulted in beatings, being stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, run out of town, ultimately martyred for his faith. He is to be pitied. We are to be pitied. Without a resurrection, we have nothing. There is no heaven. There is no Jesus, the Son of God. There is no hope. But what if the opposite is true? What if Jesus did rise from the grave? What do we have then? You know, we can be sure that Jesus is the Son of God. In Romans 1.4 we see, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. If Jesus rose from that grave, he proves definitively is the Son of God. 
If Jesus rose from the grave and he is the Son of God, it means that Jesus has the power to forgive our sins, that his shed blood was not wasted. His suffering was not wasted. In Romans 4, 24, and 25, we see, "...who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification." Jesus was killed because of my sin. But he was raised so they could be forgiven. And Jesus has power over death. In Romans 6, 9, we see, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Longer has dominion over him. Jesus is greater than death. When he walked out of that grave, it was the ultimate victory. If we think about this, if this is all true, we can be certain that Jesus died for us, is willing to forgive us, and if we believe in him, we have the opportunity to spend an eternity with him in heaven. So why does the resurrection matter? If we've got a dead body, no resurrection, we're dealing with a con man and we bought into a lie. I have bought into a lie. But, if we have the empty grave, if Jesus walked out of that grave, that first evening, he is the Son of God. He is sitting at the right hand of God, and his sacrifice and resurrection were the justification for our sins. And eternal life is real. But how can we be certain? One of these two things is true. Because remember, Jesus lived. We know he lived. It's a documented fact. So which of these are true today? Either the grave is empty or the grave is full. So I want to start with, as we look into this, I want to start with actually reading the resurrection story out of Luke, chapter 24. And then we're going to kind of proceed from there through it. So it's on page 884 in your pew Bible. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So what do we see that first Easter morning? We don't see any celebration. You know, we came here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus But on that first Easter morning, Jesus' closest friends and followers 
were doing the exact opposite. They were mourning. Those women were going to the tomb in verse 1, not to look for a risen Jesus. They were going to anoint a dead body. They expected to find Jesus in that grave. There was confusion when they got there. You know, what happened to the, where did it go? I don't think it ever occurred to them that Jesus had walked out of that grave at that point. There was disbelief. You know, when the women got back to the disciples, in verse 11 we see, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. The disciples did not even believe that the women had seen angels and that the angels had told them that Jesus had risen. One other thing we see too, if we jump over to John chapter 20, verse 19, we see fear on that first Easter. In John chapter 20, verse 19, says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples were afraid. There was no rejoicing about a resurrection. They really thought the Jewish leaders were coming for them next. You know, they had, they had just watched the man that they thought was the Son of God be arrested, convicted, and murdered. And now they were afraid. They were really questioning, had they served the Son of God? Or had they served a man? Had they bought into a lie? Think about what the disciples had seen prior to Jesus being crucified. They saw people being healed, storms calmed. They'd even watched Lazarus be dead. Some of them had seen the transfiguration. There was a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the feeding of the 5,000. Unbelievable miracles. But yet, despite all those miracles, I really think they thought they had screwed up at this point. That they had served a con man. That Jesus wasn't actually the Son of God. You know, prior to Jesus' death, if you would have asked them, my guess is they would have said, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. But now they had watched Jesus be killed. They knew he was dead. And now they were no longer certain. They were questioning whether Jesus was a man, Jesus was the Son of God. But what else happened that day? We see Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus appeared to her, she believed. We see her response. Then we see Jesus appearing to two on the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 31. And at first they did not recognize Jesus, but when they did, they believed. Then we see Jesus appearing to the disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 20, we see, When he said this, he showed them his hands, sighed, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Fear, confusion, mourning, and disbelief turned into understanding and conviction when they saw with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus. You know, one thing as I read, look at this I, that I find very interesting is that we do not see any examples of Jesus' closest followers believing that he was the Son of God until they saw him with their own eyes. They had to be eyewitnesses. These were the guys that had watched Jesus die. They had witnessed his brutal execution. They knew he was dead. See him 
with their own eyes before they accepted him as the son of God. You know, what do I mean by this? You know, we see when Mary Magdalene, after she saw Jesus, she ran and told the disciples that she had seen him. And they didn't believe her. You know, we read in Luke chapter 24, the women had seen angels that had told them that Jesus had risen, and the disciples didn't believe her, believe them. We even see Thomas, good old doubting Thomas. He was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them the first time. So here's 11 men, a couple years together, had lived together, learned together, ate together. Ten of them said they had seen Jesus. One hadn't. And that one man refused to believe the ten. You know, in John chapter 20, verse 25, so the other disciples told him, this is told to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. None of us are eyewitnesses to this event. So how can we believe? In some ways, I'm a lot like Thomas. If I was in that boat, I don't think I would have believed the other disciples. I had just watched him be killed. How could he be alive? We don't have the opportunity to be eyewitnesses, but we have the testimony of the original eyewitnesses. We have the testimony from the disciples So how can we be certain? So if we think about the disciples, we see that they had fear, confusion, but then we also saw, we see that when they saw Jesus, they believed. Think about Peter. Just a couple weeks after Peter After Jesus rose from the dead, we see Peter's sermon at Pentecost where he boldly proclaimed the resurrection of the Lord. This was in front of thousands and thousands of people. These were people that knew who Jesus was. This was a current event. They knew that Jesus had been killed. They knew what had been taught about him. And he stood up there and boldly proclaimed Jesus. Think about what Peter had done just a couple weeks before. After arrested... Peter denied that he even knew him to a servant girl. This was a girl that represented no threat to him other than maybe potentially embarrassment. And now Peter is standing up in front of those same religious leaders saying, Jesus rose. Just a couple weeks before, Peter was hiding behind locked doors. But now he's bold and decisive. We see Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. These are the same religious leaders that had killed their Lord and Savior a couple weeks before. These are the same religious leaders that Peter and James and John had been hiding behind locked doors from a couple weeks before. And now they're willing to look them in the eye and tell them that Jesus rose from the dead. 
These religious leaders had the power to imprison, torture, and kill those disciples. And they didn't care. They were willing to look them in the eye and say that Jesus had rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, we even see that they voiced for being counted worthy of suffering. Think about this. These were the men who had run when Jesus was arrested a few weeks before, and now they are rejoicing because they could suffer for his name. These men were changed men. In the matter of a few weeks, they went from questioning, fearful, and confused to bold, decisive, and convicted. They went from abandoning Jesus to rejoicing for being counted worthy of suffering for him. I want to read an excerpt from Chuck Colson. He's the founder of Prison Fellowship, and he is, was an aide to President Nixon and did prison time over his role in the Watergate scandal. And he wrote this, Watergate involved a conspiracy to cover up perpetrated by the closest aides to the President of the United States, the most powerful men in America, who were intensely loyal to their President. But one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence, that is, testified against Nixon as he put it to save his own skin. And he did so only two weeks after informing the President about what was really going on. Two weeks. The real cover-up, the lie, could only be held together for two weeks. Everybody else jumped ship in order to save themselves. Now the fact is that all... The fact is that all that those around the president were facing was embarrassment, maybe prison. Nobody's life was at stake. But what about the disciples? Twelve powerless men, peasants really, were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings, stonings, executions. Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of those apostles would have cracked before being beheaded or stoned? That one made a deal with the authorities? None did. So how can we be certain? To a man, Jesus' disciples were willing to suffer and die for their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. These were the original eyewitnesses. These were the men who had lived with Jesus, learned from Jesus, watched Jesus die. These were the men that had questioned whether Jesus was the Son of God after his crucifixion. And to a man, they were willing to die after they saw the resurrected Lord. These men were 100% certain had walked out of that grave. They knew that they were not dying for a lie. They knew that they were dying for the truth. They knew that the grave was empty. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that Jesus has power over death. They knew that Jesus' shed blood can forgive our sins. They knew that Jesus had rose and was sitting at the right hand of God. They knew that Jesus' resurrection justifies us before God. 
They knew that the promise of eternal life with Jesus was true. Oh, I killed my slides. (laughs) What about you? Do you know? What I would tell you today is don't leave here today being uncertain. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus loves you and desires a relationship with you. He wants you to accept his free offer of redemption that's guaranteed through his resurrection. I want to close on 3.16. Very familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Don't leave here today being uncertain. Christ died for you and he rose from the dead and he loves you. I'm going to pray and then the worship team is going to come up for a closing song. Lord, thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your shed blood and your willingness to die for us. Thank you for from the grave and justifying us before God. Thank you for providing eyewitnesses to record those events for us so that we can read and understand and believe them. Just thank you for the full room today, Lord, that we could gather in person And thank you for the beautiful way, beautiful day. And Lord, I just, if there's someone here that is uncertain, I would just ask you to convict them and help show them the certainty that is your resurrection. In your name, amen.